Every year for the past few years, Boulder middle and high school students have spent months collecting trash. Think trampoline fabric, candy wrappers, garden hoses, caution tape, all sorts of stuff. And they take all of these findings and piece them together to create gowns and pants and tops and other garments. What is this for? What's the end goal? Well, it's to walk across the runway and show off their creations to our community. The event is called Trash the Runway. Here are some of the designers from last year. I'm Izzy Iwasco. I'm a freshman at Boulder High. Um, so the pants, I was going for more of a parachute baggy cargo pant look. I used the rainfly cover of a tent to make the pants. That's the main material of the pants. And then I incorporated all the different other parts of the tent in the pants as well. So I went on this giant road trip with my mom from California to Colorado and then through New Mexico and Arizona. This whole time we've been using this one tent. Of course it had holes in it at the end and it was like coming apart so we couldn't use it anymore but I thought of an idea that I could use it as an outfit so I could still like have the memories and like still look at it but I could wear it as well and it was pretty special yeah. My name is Sophia Law. I am a senior at Boulder High School. Not my base, but my kind of statement pieces are um, going to be little pieces of technology. So I have um, circuit boards, I have floppy disks, I have CDs, I have cords, keyboards, wires. Technology in so many ways is not designed to be a long-lasting product. They're not designed to be fixed when they're broken. They're not designed to last long. They're designed to last long enough that you buy whatever's new when it next comes out and you dispose of whatever you just had. But you never think about what happens to it afterwards and how long it's going to be sitting on planet Earth. Like All of these things are going to be here far beyond us. and It makes me kind of sad that we're leaving our mark in that way. It's kind of like the old saying, one person's trash is another person's treasure. This idea of seeing used materials as valuable resources instead of trash is what we're focusing on in this episode. We're talking circularity, a new way of thinking about our economy as a circle where materials are used over and over again instead of being put in the trash, which ends up in our landfills. I'm Leah Kelleher, and you're listening to Let's Talk Boulder. Many of us are familiar with what we call the three R's, reduce, reuse, and recycle. But we focus so much on recycling the waste that we create that the reduce and reuse part of that mantra haven't really received the attention they deserve. People in Boulder and across the globe are starting to recognize this, and really reframe how we think about waste. So instead of being so focused on the end of a product's life, they're trying to answer the question, how do we prevent waste in the first place? And how do we do that on a systems level, on an economic level? Cities like Boulder are investigating these questions too and are trying to build solutions that work for everyone. It's really evolved into how we address our consumption and how do we really go beyond just zero waste. Over the past decade or so, as we have seen consumption increasing, 
I mean, any statistic you look up, whether it's plastics or food, like we're just, we're consuming at such high levels year after year. And until we get a grasp on reducing that impact, like we can't really say that we are doing the most we can to address the climate crisis that we all know is happening right before our eyes. This is Jamie Harkins. She leads all things circularity and zero waste for the city. Okay, I'm already starting to use the word circularity like everyone knows what it means. So let me take a step back and let's take a moment to define it. Reduce, redesign, reuse, repair. Reduce, redesign, reuse, repair. Now you reduce, Thanks, Jeff and Paige. For those who don't know, Jeff and Paige are a musical duo who perform here in Boulder. They write, record, and perform children's songs about all sorts of science and nature topics. Go check them out and stay tuned for the full-length version of the song you just heard called No Biggie. Reduce, redesign, reuse, repair. So circularity means shifting away from our current linear take-and-make economic system to one that prioritizes reusing and repairing things for as long as possible. Once things reach the end of their life and they can't be repaired anymore, they'd be easily taken apart, recycled, and turned into new-ish items made entirely from recycled materials. Often when we talk about circularity, we're talking about a systems level change. So we're talking about changing our our actual economy to be a circular economy. And we're talking about what that circular economy could look like. And you may not know this, but the city of Boulder has actually been developing a vision for this circular economy locally and starting to chart out how we're gonna get there. Part of our job is to paint the picture of what a circular economy would actually look like. And I mean, I think we're all still figuring it out in a lot of ways, but basically you can imagine a situation where anything you need to purchase, there are options other than buying something that is new, made of virgin raw materials. There is food grown locally, sold in reusable containers. There are options to repair anything you have in your home in a lot of ways, it's kind of like how our grandparents lived. (laughs) You know, this idea that we don't hold on to things and repair them is kind of new. But then when you do need something new, which we all are gonna need, you know, there are things we'll, we'll need that we can't produce ourselves or repair. When you do need to buy something, you are confident in knowing that it has been designed in a way to make it easier for you to do the right thing when you're done with it. And that's the part of a circular economy that's different. That product is designed in a way that waste and pollution are viewed as a design flaw. Okay, so you might be listening and thinking, whoa, this is a really lofty goal. And you're right, it is. But that doesn't mean it's not eventually attainable or worth working toward. In a lot of ways, the whole idea of a circular economy is just like good business moving forward. Like we know we're dealing with a set of circumstances that are gonna be really unpredictable. Wouldn't it be great to not rely on extracting raw materials? What if we could create more stable supply chains by by creating more circularity? And then when you really start to look 
So many of the things that we just try to deal with at the back end, like could be used in such creative ways. And I think that's how we need to start thinking of, you know, all of these materials being opportunities. But that's not to say there aren't real barriers that are keeping us from going full on circular economy right now. When you're talking about completely restructuring, like how our economy works, there's a lot of infrastructure needs. There are just real barriers to capturing materials to feed back into a circular economy. And then there are just real cost barriers for producers who have invested in a certain way of making their products and buying raw materials to fundamentally shift. So they're gonna need different machines. They're gonna need more design folks. But I don't think the benefits are properly calculated to that uh, because it will save so much money in the long term and we have to address the climate crisis. When you come back to like our role as a city and like why we're both here, I do think we play a role in like getting people to think about that and asking these questions. And then another area that we really saw the city as having a role are some of these systems that consumers interact with a lot. Think about getting a to-go cup at a coffee shop. Now, on a good day, I remember to bring my reusable mug. I don't know about you, but I often feel like it shouldn't be on me as the individual to remember that reusable mug, especially when I'm walking down the street and I spontaneously want a cup of coffee with a friend and I have to make this weird choice of do I go in and get the disposable one and get that coffee but create trash or do I just skip it all together? We have been working to support businesses who are trying to change that system. We've been supporting a reusable takeout container program for the last few years, Deliver Zero, making reusable takeout containers something that is as easy as getting something you throw away. Also, we've been working with Our Cup, a reusable cold beverage cup company that's been operating down in Denver at some of the music venues. If folks go to concerts down in Denver, they may have run across them. And so we're working to bring them up to Boulder at some venues and events. We'll be incentivizing businesses to use swap out their disposable cups for our cup. So it's systems like that. Like how can we as a city help accelerate the use and really try to make them like as easy to use as the disposable option. And, and it takes some time to like figure that out, but I think we'll get there. And then when you're talking about this whole circular economy concept, like we need a lot of new ideas. We need new ways of doing things and new companies to do them. And I think cities could really play a role in the testing of the idea. I think we've been really successful at like funding some of these ideas and really getting them to work out the kinks, like the reusable takeout container program. They really used our first year when we were supporting them of like improving the back end of the technology and making it an easier consumer experience and really taking those lessons that were coming like every month. And then the idea is that they go on to scale much bigger. We certainly have a long way to go. But as Jamie mentioned, we're already making progress toward our circular vision. We've partnered with several reuse companies who are working with local restaurants to offer reusable to-go containers to their customers. We're helping food businesses invest in their own in-house reusable diningware, dishwashers, and other reusable systems so they don't have to rely on single-use products. 
our friends at EcoCycle, Resource Central, Community Cycles, and other local organizations are reselling donated materials for reuse, or they're transforming them into new valuable products like wallets made from bike tire inner tubes. And other organizations are channeling food donations to those in need or creating local markets for thrifted goods. I could keep going. The list goes on and on. There's tons of reuse happening in our community already. And we'll be chatting with a few of these circularity partners in an upcoming episode. So stay tuned for that. We're also working to make high quality compost from our food scraps, leaves, grass clippings, and other plant material. Healthy compost nourishes our soil. It feeds all those tiny little soil microbes that help grow our plants and provide sustenance for all of the nutritious local food that we grow in our own backyard, whether it's literally our backyard in our garden or over at a local farm. So that's the other part of the circular economy is that we're not just extracting and producing, we're also feeding the natural systems through that process. Sometimes I think that's the hardest piece. You know, we can figure out how to like design products better and keep them circulating, but how do we correct the damage we've done to natural systems along the way? This is where compost comes in. Healthy, clean compost is not just a way to recycle our food waste, but it's also circular in that it takes your food scraps and your yard trimmings, and through the composting process, they're transformed into this regenerative material that nourishes our soils, helping them absorb carbon and water. And hopefully that compost is coming back to Boulder, coming back to your yard and our local farms so that you can put it in your garden to help feed your plants. And as we continue to work on our compost stream. You know, we've had some issues with contamination and we're we're working to clean it up. And as we work to produce this really high quality product, I think we need to work on making sure everyone in Boulder knows that like that is gold. Now you might also be wondering, why can't we just recycle everything? Well, there's two big reasons. The first is that many materials can't be infinitely recycled because they break down every time they're put through the recycling process. And the second is that recycling doesn't solve for all of the emissions and natural resources required to make something new. We call these emissions embodied emissions or embodied carbon. Think about all the wood that's in your house. The embodied emissions accounts for cutting down that initial tree, transporting that tree to a lumber mill, all of the energy and I'm using the word emissions, but the emissions that are coming from those machines, the the electricity, the gas that it takes to produce that piece of wood that you want to buy. Then you've got to transport it to your building. You've got to put it up and now it's in your house. This is Emily Freeman. She's a policy advisor for the city and leads a lot of our reuse work. And so everything that is in your house has associated emissions from harvesting of that material 
to transportation to remanufacturing to once probably again transportation to the store that you're sourcing it from. So there's a reason why our reduce, reuse, and recycle motto is listed in that order. We can lessen our impact on the planet by simply using less from the start. Then when something outgrows its usefulness, look for possible ways to reuse it or repair it if it's broken in a minor way. And then finally, when it's at the end of its life and it can no longer be reused and it's beyond repair, it's time to recycle it. Now, that's not to say that recycling isn't a piece of the circularity puzzle. It is. It's just one piece. And the goal is for it to be the final step in the whole circularity process, for it to be the last resort. I know there's a lot of myths out there or people hear rumors that what you're recycling isn't actually getting recycled. I would love to just like tell people it is, (laughs) at least here in Boulder County. We are so fortunate to have a recycling center run by folks who are very mission-driven and really find good markets for our materials. But like, we all can also acknowledge that recycling isn't perfect. It's not the answer. Like, We cannot infinitely recycle everything to a point where we have addressed the problem. And so I think that the idea of a circular economy acknowledges that. Recycling and composting are absolutely like critical parts of this circle, this equation, but it can't be the only ones. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, didn't we just say that composting is circular? Okay, yes, that's still true. But alongside making compost, we also need to be reducing how much food waste we create in the first place. So, in a completely circular economy, we'd eat almost all the food we produce. Except for maybe those carrot tops and banana peels that aren't really as tasty or edible. We'd also try to eat local food that's in season when possible to limit how far that food needs to travel to get to our plate. Then all of those not as edible food scraps, those carrot tops and banana peels, would be combined with leaves and other plant material and transformed into compost. From there that compost would be returned to our soils, our gardens, our farm fields, you name it. Food waste to compost to soil is a good example of circularity. But there is another and debatably more impactful example that we can see unfolding right in our backyards. Drum roll, please. Sustainable deconstruction. Deconstruction is the unbuilding of a building in its most simple terms. So a little more complicated explanation would be that deconstruction is the careful dismantling of a structure, typically in the opposite order that it was constructed, in order to maximize the salvage of building materials for reuse and recycling. It's very different from demolition. So demolition is basically smashing a building down, tearing out its foundation, and sending it to the landfill. I think our society has really just kind of idolized and held up that demolition of buildings is exciting. We're smashing. We're watching implosions. And you think about these 
my kid Jackson, he's three years old, and every time he sees a bulldozer or excavator, he's like, look, Mom, look there. Did you see it? And he just wants to watch them work, and he likes them scooping and smashing and moving materials. I want a clean slate. What is the fastest way for me to get there? Let's just bring in that bulldozer, bring in that excavator or wrecking ball, and we're going to smash this down and get rid of it. And we say that's the best way to do it without seeing that that red brick building has value and people might want to reuse those bricks. Or we need road base and we can recycle that concrete foundation and not have to extract more materials that all that hardwood floor can be taken out and resold. So, in other words, deconstruction is a more circular way to take down and construct buildings. It does require more time. For a residential house, demolition takes one to two days max. And deconstruction can take upwards of 10 to 14 days. And it takes more human power. You need six to eight people who have been trained and are skilled labor to be able to deconstruct and dismantle that home. But the impact is huge. So this is from the EPA. In 2018, the U.S. generated 600 million tons of C&D debris. C&D refers to construction and demolition. That accounts for 40% of the total waste stream in the U.S. 90% of that 600 million comes from demolition, and only 10% comes from construction. So when we're looking at the impact of demolition, 90% of that 600 million pounds is coming from buildings coming down. A lot of people emphasize we really need to focus on construction, and we do. We need to design for deconstruction. We need to understand how buildings are pieced together so you're maximizing energy savings and maximizing the potential for reuse or recycling at the end of life of that building. But another way to say that is one demolished home is equal to one person's lifetime generated trash. So from the time I was born to the time I die when I'm 100, because that's my goal, all the trash that I have generated is kind of that equivalent weight when one building comes down. According to the U.S. GBC, the U.S. Green Building Council, buildings account for 40% of the global use of raw materials. If that building is demolished, those are non-renewable resources that are sent to the landfill, and they are gone. And then there's emissions. According to the Rocky Mountain Institute, building materials and construction account for just under 10% of the world's energy-related carbon emissions. So building products are among the biggest contributors to carbon emissions. This is partly because producing them 
can be highly carbon intensive. Virtually every step in a raw or virgin material cycle requires energy input for extraction, refining, transportation, and fabrication. So that's like gas, transportation, food, all that energy. Whoa. I need a minute to think about that. So, what we buy has a bigger environmental impact than what we drive and how we power our lives. So, just even that small change towards deconstruction and preservation and salvage or even recycling can have a huge impact on climate. Reused and recycled materials require far less energy and resources and produce far fewer emissions. When one ton of steel is recycled, 2,500 pounds of iron ore and 1,400 pounds of coal and 120 pounds of limestone are conserved. This is why we have to care about buildings. This is why we have to start kind of, I think, taking that mental shift and saying, you know, we care about the environment. We care about climate change. We care about saving the planet. Carl Elefante, he's the former president of the American Institute of Architects, said that the greenest building is the one that's already built. So even if we're not keeping that building, if we can take its structures, we are helping to preserve that building in a new life, in a reimagined way. It's also preserving our history, the character of our community. Think about all the stories and history tied up in the wooden floors and glass windows in our homes. That wood was once a live tree. That glass was probably tiny grains of sand along a beach. And before that, they were stones. So the act of demolishing a building and landfilling its parts isn't just wasting valuable resources and energy. It's throwing away the history and really character of our community. And you're able to salvage the wood and salvage the sinks and the plumbing, all the things that you might think could could maybe go somewhere. And you can take that structural wood that's holding your house up and either reuse it in your new building, or there are multiple contractors and reuse organizations in the Boulder and Denver area that will accept those materials so they can be reused in a new life. I believe we have a deep responsibility to create policies, programs, and mechanisms to divert building materials from the landfill and to emphasize reuse and recycling as stewards of our environment to help combat climate change. And I've got some good news for you. We're doing just that. Here's Jamie again. We've started down this path at the city, I think, We've really worked to identify like a few parts of the economy that we as a city can directly influence. So the first, which anyone who has owns property in a city knows that a city has direct control over building codes and land use and, you know, how buildings get built. And so 
you're in Boulder, you pay a deposit based on the size of your building you're bringing down. And then to get that deposit back, you have to recycle or repurpose for reuse um, 75% by weight. The city has been working to model deconstruction over the past few years at a property called Alpine Balsam. As the name suggests, it's on the streets Alpine and Balsam here in Boulder. It was formerly the community hospital. At the end of 2015, the city purchased the Alpine Balsam site, and it had the old Boulder Community Health Hospital on the site, which has been there up until just recently in in different forms. This is Michelle Crane. She works for the city and is the architect for our city buildings. The city of Boulder is transforming the site for two uses. One of those is for affordable housing and and some market rate housing that helps support that development. And then the other is to really consolidate a number of uh, city buildings into one centralized location to help better serve the community moving forward. After the city purchased the site, some of the very early conversations were what to do next and and what to do with this really large hospital. I think it's over 300,000 square feet in total. And a lot of folks in the community talked about reuse and the desire to reuse the building from an embodied energy standpoint to preserve the embodied energy on the site. In this case, reusing the building means keeping the building intact. So not taking it down, not demolishing it, not deconstructing it. We know that new construction takes a lot of energy just to build new buildings, much less operate and maintain them. And so we did a lot of assessment of the reuse of the building, what that future development would look like, the complexity of reusing a hospital that is very purpose-built to be a hospital, trying to transform that into something else. And ultimately, the hospital itself would be very challenging to reuse. However, there are three other buildings being reused on the site. The Brenton building's being reused, the parking structure, and the pavilion building, which is attached to the hospital. They're all concrete structures, so from an embodied carbon standpoint, they actually represent some of the largest amount of embodied carbon versus the hospital, which is a combination of concrete and steel. But given the real commitment to our climate goals and and interest in in wanting to do the best we can do and, and really push the envelope and sustainability, especially on this site, we chose to sustainably deconstruct and try to maximize our reuse of any materials in that building over recycling and then maximize recycling over, over landfill. Deconstruction was broken into two phases. There was first interior deconstruction. We asked our contractors to reuse as much as possible first. Doors, cabinets, sinks, ceiling tiles, um, a lot of the wood, we had lumber piles. There was a lot of lighting fixtures. Some of those were sold or donated. I think there's also over a thousand doors. And then the boilers and the pumps, those large mechanical equipment, that's the type of material that we sent out to auction. In a hospital, there's a lot of equipment and pumps and systems and things that really can be kind of auctioned off and reused directly as other things. And sometimes that reuse looks like repurposing into furniture or in other things, but it's not a full kind of recycling where you really break the whole material down. We learned a a lot about what goes into the dumpster. Um, And I think that was eye-opening, especially as we think about our other city buildings. Most of what goes into the dumpster, I think 99% of what went into the dumpster was drywall. 
It can't be recycled and it can't be easily reused. And so it made us think a lot about just how we would like to limit the use of drywall in buildings. And drywall is cheap to use compared to flexible or adaptable systems. You can get you know, systems in buildings that do walls that are more of a kit of parts, but they have a higher upfront cost. But it's something that we learned early that we should really assess that upfront cost given how much we may renovate something over time and that it may be worth that upfront cost. It may limit costs in the future when we know we'll remodel again, probably in the next handful of years, and we won't be contributing to the landfill. So once we had the interior done, there is a lot of exposed metal. Most commercial buildings are a lot of steel, I-beams, supports, and brick or concrete. Those are all materials that have reuse options and retain value. From there, we were able to remove those, those steel elements so they could be reused in projects such as Fire Station 3 in Boulder. Recycling of steel still requires that energy intensity. Even though you've reclaimed that material, you still have to melt it down to be made into another product. This is a great example of circularity. Old, deconstructed steel from the hospital is being reused locally in our new fire station, which is saving us resources, money, and it's also saving the history of those beams. This brings up a really important part of a successful circular economy, having stable markets for reused materials. As you might know, new building materials can be really expensive. And as we've talked about, there's still a lot of life and value left in used materials. However, ensuring that they actually get reused requires connecting the people who are looking to buy them to the folks who are selling them. This is a place where we need some innovation and growth. If we don't have a way, especially in this digital age, to know that materials are available when you need them and what you want, that still is driving people to buying new materials. This could look like an online marketplace and or better connections between contractors working on local projects. The city is currently exploring these different ways to support a stronger, more connected marketplace for building materials and more, but it's a work in progress. As of this summer, deconstruction of the hospital is complete. The actual deconstruction didn't take more time. It came down very quickly, even though we were trying to reuse kind of final phase of our analysis will be really compiling a report that summarizes what we learned and and what the final costs were. But right now, um, we definitely have some initial cost savings just from the unknowns. They, they went much smoother than they had planned. We also know that through deconstruction, we were able to divert about 94% of the building materials by weight from the landfill. Again, 94%. That's incredible being able to share what we've learned and at, at the detailed level of, you know, where the hiccups can be and where things went smooth and in the process, really we do hope helps inform other projects. 
More information in the full report will be coming out soon, so stay tuned for details. Do you ever find yourself stuck, maybe close to paralyzed in the grocery store? You're looking at two versions of the same type of product. One's local and organic, but mm, it's wrapped in plastic. Well, the other is plastic free, but it's from a big name brand imported from across the globe. Which one do you buy? I often have these grocery store dilemmas. In a perfect circular economy, like you shouldn't have to make the choice. That should already be figured out for you. And that's where I think as a climate movement, we've struggled in that putting so many of these decisions on consumers Mm -hmm. rather than changing the system that produced them. Our individual carbon footprint. Well, what about the carbon footprint of the companies making all these products? And, And why is it so hard for us as consumers to do the right thing? Like that is, I think, at the core of what we are thinking about a lot. How do we change that? Because like that's how we actually address some of these issues, especially around consumption. How do we change that? One of the biggest ways is influencing policy. And the good news is we've actually seen a number of promising policies pass recently. There are a few state policies that have passed in recent years. The first was the Plastic Pollution Reduction Act, which was signed in 2021. And that bill was a result of many years of cities lobbying for certain changes regarding plastics. And so it has four main parts. The first, people are very familiar, hopefully by now, that it started a statewide bag fee at large stores that started January 1st, 2023. That transitions into a phasing out of plastic bags at large stores and a ban on styrofoam food containers starting January 1st, 2024. And then it repealed a preemption. So a preemption is something that the state says that a city cannot do. There was actually a preemption on the books that said cities couldn't regulate plastics used in consumer packaging. So we couldn't ban certain plastics. The city of Boulder and others lobbied the state to get rid of that preemption. With that preemption now lifted, Cities can make their own regulations that create additional restrictions on some of the most problematic plastics starting next year, in 2024. The city also advocated for a state bill that passed in 2022 called the Colorado Producer Responsibility Act. Which is extremely exciting and is really where this whole conversation needs to go. We often refer to these kinds of policies as extended producer responsibility. You may hear like EPR. What it does is start to shift the burden of what is left after you use a product back to the producer. So based on how a product is packaged, they'll have to pay into this fund. There's an advisory group working on how this will all work right now, but the more recyclable your packaging is, the less of a fee you'll pay. And so that's how you're sort of encouraging better choices. But that fund will go to the state, and then the idea is it pays for recycling service for all of Colorado, access for everyone, free of charge. This is the systems change we talk about. It can't just be on you and me and our neighbors to do the right thing. Like, 
we are given us a product, it shouldn't be that hard to figure out what to do with it. We fundamentally at a city level can't on our own reshape the global economy. I wish we could, but I think this is a really great example of work that can influence these larger systems. And it's now a model for, I think 15 states are looking at modeling our Colorado producer responsibility bill. Okay, we've covered a lot in this episode. We started with circularity and circular economies at a really high level. Then we talked about the city's work in this space, narrowed in on sustainable deconstruction and some of the policies that are heading us in the right direction. But you might be wondering, and are hopefully wondering, what are some things I can do as an individual right now to help support our local circular economy? Well, here are some ways to get started. Borrow, share, and rent items whenever you can. And this can actually be really helpful if you're trying to use something for a limited time. So for instance, you might not want to go buy an immersion blender, but maybe your friend has one and you could go borrow it from them. Or you could borrow a book or a movie from the library. You could swap clothes with a friend. Get creative. Another way is to repair items with life left in them. Check out Boulder You Fix It Clinic events for repair trainings. We put a link in our show notes. Also, shop for used things like clothes, shoes, furniture, and you name it. Thrift stores got them all. You could also go to garage sales, flea markets, consignment shops. There's a ton of thrift-like stores around town. Go check them out and see what you can find. Another way, and I try to do this when I remember to, is to bring reusable containers to grocery stores for produce and any sort of bulk purchases that you might want to make, and to restaurants for leftovers. We've put a few articles with more tips and tricks in our show notes. Go check them out. This episode of Let's Talk Boulder was produced and edited by me, Leah Kelleher. Let's Talk Boulder is a City of Boulder podcast that explores our community one conversation like this one at a time. Special thanks to the folks featured in this episode, Jamie Harkins, Emily Freeman, and Michelle Crane, and of course, the Trash the Runway students whose voices you heard at the beginning of this episode. As always, check out our show notes for a whole bunch of circular economy resources, music attributes, and more. And no biggie. So, what do you think? Well, excuse me, ma'am, but I think that I am inspired by all you have said. And if a guy like you can change what I do, then these changes will soon be widespread. I know now. I knew. 
let's go now. Let's do it. Let's stop all this wasting and let's get down to it. The future looks bright up ahead. And it's no biggie.